How many picks do you need? Well, it is such a joy to be with you this morning. Um, as I've already indicated, we are concluding our sermon series to the book of Matthew um, this morning. And as we do that, let me just remind you of some key moments that we've looked at through this great story. This great study. Um, we've looked at key moments in Jesus' life, haven't we? We've looked at his birth, his baptism. We looked at the 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted, and we studied about that. We looked at when Jesus called his disciples. Jesus said, Come and follow me. And that calling was not just to the 12 disciples that he called, but it's a calling that it reaches to every single one of us in this room, as well as those outside the doors of this room. We looked at the great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We studied about John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man to ever be born of a woman. And throughout this study, we have read and studied the words of Jesus. We looked at the authority by which Jesus taught. We looked at how Jesus demonstrated his authority over nature, over disease and demons. We looked at how he um, demonstrated his authority over sin. Jesus was not just a man, was he? Jesus was the Son of God who came and dwelt amongst each and every one of us. Jesus proved time and time again that he was indeed the Son of God. What kind of reward did Jesus get for that? What kind of reward did he get for coming and dwelling amongst men and and providing a way for man's sins to be forgiven? He was arrested, he was tried. He was beaten, mocked, spit upon, stripped of his clothes. They placed a crown upon his head that was made of thorns, and they crucified him. Had that been the end of the story, had that been the moment where we concluded our study through the back book of Matthew, we would have been left very, very disappointed, wouldn't we have been? But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? There's more to the story because they took Jesus off of that cross and they laid him in a borrowed tomb and three days later he conquered death. And because he conquered death, he has provided a way for every single one of us in this room to conquer the life that he has given us to live. Now this morning we come to the conclusion of this study. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look together this morning at verses 16 through 20. The last four verses of this great book. This section of scripture is called the Great Commission. And I've said this before, and you have heard other pastors say this before, your growth group leaders have probably said this before, but the Great Commission is not a great suggestion. So notice what we read together in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16, we read these words. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here, as we come to this portion of Scripture and we look at the Great Commission, I want you to know, first of all, that Jesus did not just go to the 11 disciples and commission them. There was a crowd that would have been gathered around Jesus whenever he uttered these words. So this Great Commission was was given to the disciples, it was given to the crowd, and it was given to every subsequent generation of people. It was given to us. So what does that tell us? That tells us that every single one of us in this room, all of us in this room, we are part of this story. We are part of the story in the sense that we have been commissioned to go and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was not just a, just a, a, a saying that Jesus or a directive that Jesus gave to the first century Christian. It is a commissioning to every generation, past, present, and future as well. The first thing that I want to see this morning is this. I want us to look at our response to Jesus. We, we read in verse 16 these words. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, we are not told to which mountain these, these men went. We're not told to which mountain Jesus went to. But I kind of like to think that it may have been the Sermon on the Mount. I like to think that it may have been on that mountain that overlooked the Sea of Galilee, that, that overlooked the city of Capernaum and, and other areas as well. The place where Jesus called his disciples and those in attendance that day to a life of holiness and righteousness. That's kind of what mountain I like to think that it was that they went to. We don't know that for sure um, as to which mountain they went to, but what we know is that they went to a mountain. And on this mountain, there were two responses to Jesus. Some worshipped him, and some doubted him. And, and just to remember, once again, um, that, that Jesus was not just speaking to the 11 disciples here. All of the disciples had already seen the resurrected Jesus. There was a crowd that was there as well. And so this crowd that would have been there, many of them may not have seen the resurrected Jesus at this point. And so most likely it would have been those within the crowd that would have doubted Jesus. But others worshipped him. The disciples worshipped him. How could they have responded in any other way? Standing before them was a resurrected Jesus in his resurrected body. These men and women that would have been in attendance that day, they had just witnessed over the course of, 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 of a few hours, several days before this, they had witnessed Jesus get arrested. They had observed his trial. They saw him whipped and beaten and spit upon and made a spectacle of. They observed him as he hung upon that cross. They heard those seven final statements that Jesus made from that cross. And they heard him say with a loud voice, It is finished. They saw him laid in the tomb. And so many in that crowd may have just heard about Jesus having arisen to life again. And so they may have been a little skeptical, just like Thomas was skeptical. But others, when they saw Jesus, 
their response was worship. And that should be our response as well. Every time that we rise to a new life, our response should be to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love what John Piper wrote in in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He wrote these words. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. Worship. Worship is what you and I will do for all of eternity. But missions, missions is something that we only get to do while we are alive upon this earth. As I've shared before, this is the only time that we are actually a part of this story called life. Let us be obedient as we live out the Great Commission. So some worshiped. Some responded in worship. Others responded in doubt. Why did they doubt? It could be, once again, that some of them in the crowd had only heard of the resurrected Christ, but had not yet seen him. And we get the impression within our passage that as Jesus is coming toward the crowd and coming toward the disciples, that he was off at a distance at first. And whenever um, those that recognized that it was Jesus recognized him, they worshiped him. But some, maybe they had to wait for Jesus to get a little bit closer. Because they doubted at first, but my belief is this, that when Jesus came into proximity of the crowd and the disciples, that everyone burst out in worship. Notice our second point. It says the authority of Jesus. In verse 18, we read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so it says Jesus came to them. So we do have that impression that Jesus was off at a distance at first, and then he came to this group of people. Then upon Jesus coming to them, notice first what Jesus did not say. He did not say that a little authority had been given to him or that, that some authority had been given to him or most authority had been given to him. No, notice what Jesus said. He says, all authority has been given to me. Make no mistake, the authority that Jesus has been given is sovereign and absolute. And we know this because we have witnessed this as we've studied through this great book. He had authority over nature, over disease and sickness, demons, sin, over death itself. It will be just, it will be Jesus one day that judges all of mankind. And because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him by the Father, we know that 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 one day, one day as we read in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of 
At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, every knee will bow on earth, and every knee will bow under the earth. Today, King Jesus is seated upon his throne in the heavenly, and he is leading, and he is ruling, and nothing is happening that, happening that he is not completely and absolutely aware of. In Hebrews 12, 2, we read that, that we're told, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God right now. Jesus is seated in the heavens and he is ruling over all. The authority that was bestowed upon him by God the Father, Jesus is enacting right now. And he tells his disciples and he tells us that all authority had been given to him. Notice our third point is this. Notice the command of Jesus. In verses 19 through 20, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before we can look at the go, let us first punctuate the therefore. With this therefore, we understand the why. We understand the go. Why do we go? Because the one who has authority over us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, has commissioned us to go. He has called us to go. The Great Commission is not a great suggestion, even though somehow we have turned it into the Great Omission. It is the Great Omission because we have omitted this call from Jesus to go. We have left the going to other people, haven't we? We've left the going to missionaries. We've left the going to pastors. We've left the going to teachers. We've left the going to to growth group leaders and church leaders. Jesus was not just reaffirming his calling upon the disciples in this passage. No, he was telling the crowd and every subsequent generation of people that would answer the call to become fishers of men. All of us in this room are fishers of men. All of us in this room have been called to go. Every one of us. Not some of us, not most of us, but all of us in this room have been called and commanded to go. In his book, Born to Reproduce, Dawson Trotman wrote these words. He wrote these words speaking of the church. He said, the curse of today is that we are too busy. I'm not talking about being busy earning money to buy food. I'm talking about being busy doing Christian things. We have spiritual activity with little productivity. The gospel spread to the known world during the first century without radio, without television, without the printing press, because the writing of the apostles produced men who were reproducing. Let me say that last sentence there again. The writing of the apostles produced men who were reproducing. That's what all of us have been been called to do. We've been called to take God's word and apply it to our lives and reproduce, be reproducing men and women and students and children. In the early part of Matthew, Jesus makes it clear when he called his disciples that every follower of Jesus is a fisher of men. And now at the bookend of this gospel, in Matthew 28, we are called to be disciple 
makers. Our job and our mission is to become a disciple maker. After we become a fisher of men, we become a disciple maker. And four keys that I want us to look at as it applies to becoming a disciple maker. The first thing that we are called to do is we are called to share the word. Where do we share the word? Acts 1.8 makes that clear, doesn't it? It says, you will be my witnesses, Jesus said. It says, but when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Just before Jesus ascended to his rightful place next to the Father in heaven, Jesus said to go. He commissioned his disciples to go to the nations. He commissioned his disciples to go across the street and preach the good news of salvation. There are, uh, these are our mission papers which clearly tell us we are all responsible for taking the gospel to our Jerusalem, to our Judea, to our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. This right here, God's word, these are our mission papers. These are our marching orders. When we take God's word and we read God's word and we apply God's word to our life, then we are being obedient to the commissioning that Jesus has given us to do. We are called to go, and we are all called to share. Next, notice this. We are called to show the word. Jesus commanded his disciples and us, said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As we go and we see the lost come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, what are we commanded to do? We're commanded to take that person and to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We know that baptism does not save us. Baptism is what we all participate in. It gives demonstration of what Jesus has done in our life, right? What do we do with those baptismal waters? Whenever I baptize somebody, when you were baptized, or you've observed other people baptized, what you witnessed was this. That person gets into those baptismal waters, and, 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 and we utter these words, that I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, so that we might rise to walk in the newness of life. Whenever a person is baptized, baptized in those baptismal waters when you were baptized do you know what you did you gave a witness of what Jesus Christ did in your life you gave a witness of the fact that your old life was no more and you were given a new life in Christ some of you in this room man you accepted Christ you may have accepted Christ a few weeks ago a few months ago it may have been years ago that you accepted Christ and you still have not gone through the baptismal waters the question is why It doesn't save you, but it is a command that we have been given that we are to be baptized. And when we are baptized, we show the world what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. The next thing that we see here is we teach the Word. We we, we read this. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you is what Jesus says here. Who did Jesus call to teach the Word? called all of us to be teachers of the word, didn't he? Every single one of us in this room is a teacher. We are all to teach the word of God. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are 
all of us in this room have been commissioned to teach. We do not just receive the Word of God, but we are to reproduce the Word of God as we go and make disciples. Every person is a teacher. Every one of us in this room is a teacher. You teach your kids every single day. You teach those that you have influence over every single day. You teach those that observe your life every single day. You teach them in a positive way or a negative way. What we have to realize is that, yes, algebra is important. Geometry is important. History is important. Okay, that helps us advance in in the arena of academia. Okay, but... We are also called to teach the Word because the Word will go with us into all of eternity, won't it? For us to fail to teach the Word of God, you realize it is a sin for us to do that, right? Because we have been commissioned by God to do it, and for us to fail to do it, then we are indeed committing a sin. In Deuteronomy 6, 6-9, through 9, we read these words, And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house house and on your gates. We are to teach the word as we do life with those that we get in proximity with, with those um, in our household, with our children, with our, with our spouses and our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, anyone that the Lord gives us influence over, we are commanded to teach the word of God to them as we seek to make disciples into them. The final step here is we, we see is we are to serve the world serve the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations is what Jesus said. We are called to serve the world. Yes, we are called to reach those across the street from us, but we are also called to reach the nations. We are called to reach the unreached. Um, Several weeks ago, I completed a book called um, Ten Who Changed the World by Daniel Aiken. And in this book, he, he writes of a missionary by the name of John Fraser, who was a missionary to China. And, and these are the words that he wrote in his book in response to James Fraser reading a book, um, Do Not Say. Um, James Fraser read these words in Do Not Say, in which he, he, he read these words. They were indicting. They were convicting upon him. But this is what um, he wrote. A command has been given. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It has not been obeyed. More than half of the people in the world have never yet heard the gospel. This was written somewhere um, in the the 19th century. What are we to say to this? Surely it concerns us Christians very seriously. For we are the people who are responsible. If our master returned today to find millions of people unevangelized and looked as a course, he would look to us for an explanation. I cannot imagine what explanation we should have to give. Let me read that again. You see this up on the, word, up on the, the board. But for we are the people who are responsible. If our master returned today to find millions of people unevangelized and looked as of course, he would look to us for an, for an explanation. I cannot imagine what explanation we would have to give. 
If we had to stand before Jesus and give an account for why there are still within our world about 3 billion people that, are, that have never heard the name of Jesus or never been presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, how would you and I respond to him if he was standing here in front of us today? These were the words um, that, that rattled through James Fraser's mind and convicted him some 120 years ago. Fraser would write these words once he got to the mission field. He said, the whole plane is without the light of the gospel. I believe God would be glorified by even one witness to his name amid the perishing thousands. It does seem a terrible thing that so few are offering for the mission field. I can't help feeling that there is something wrong somewhere. Surely God must be wanting his people to go forward Does not the master's last command still hold good? Does the master's command to go still hold true today, my friends? Of course it does. Of course it does. It is just as true today as the day that Jesus spoke these words. The problem is not the command. The command is true. The problem lies with us, those who disobey disobey the command. We view it more as a great suggestion, so we omit it from our lives. Folks, as your pastor, I am just as guilty as you are of this. You know, every single week, yes, I have the opportunity to stand before you and preach God's word. I have the opportunity to present a plan of salvation to you. But if, if, if all that I do is just speak to you, Um, and don't go outside of the doors of this church like we've all been called to do, then I stand before you week in and week out a fraud. And I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want you to be a fraud either. I want all of us in this room to be obedient to the Great Commission and to go. You know, one of the things that, that I've been convicted of is, and I've shared this with you before, how am I going to get in proximity of lost people? You know, it's real easy for me to to show up here at the office and work on a sermon that, that comes every seven days, whether you realize it or not. I realize it. As soon as I'm done on Sunday, I realize, okay, next Sunday I get to do this all over again. And so I go into preparation mode pretty quickly. And so I spend a lot of my time during the week planning for Sunday morning sermons, planning for Wednesday night messages. And if I've got a wedding or a funeral to do, you know, I spend a lot of time in study. And, and if I'm not careful, I can get so consumed with my study that I'm not being obedient to the Great Commission. So one of the things that I've done this year is um, to help prepare to get into proximity of lost people and to other people is I signed up to be a part of the Citizens Police Academy of Allen. Okay, um, and so this is a 12-week course, which allows me to get into proximity of, of the, the men and women that patrol the streets of Allen. And, and um, it also allows me, there's about 25 of us that are going through this class. It started this past Thursday. It's 12 weeks long. It goes from 6 to 9. There's 25 other people in this class. And this has given me an opportunity to get in proximity of potential lost people and invest in them and share with them. Hopefully the Lord will give me opportunities to share the good news of salvation with them. And once I complete this first 12 weeks, I will have the opportunity to go through the next Next course, which is the Citizens on Patrol course. And I found out that I will be able to give tickets if I go through this. All right. Now, 
it is only tickets for those that are parked in a handicapped spot without the proper identification. So know this. If I go through the Citizens on Patrol class and I see you parked in a handicapped spot without a tag or a, a spot on your, 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 your license plate, um, the, the, the wheelchair there, then know that I will give you a ticket. I'm looking forward to that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But, you know, to be honest with you, I'm looking forward to, you know, I've always wanted to be able to say, like Gomer Pyle did, um, 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 citizens arrest, citizens arrest, you know, and so I'm looking forward to doing that. But, but in all seriousness, okay, why am I doing this? Because I know that I need to get into proximity of lost people. Why do I need to get in proximity of lost people? Because the Lord has commanded me to do that. Um, and as your pastor, I don't want to just call you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And another area that, I, that I'm going to be involved in um, this year is being a mentor at the kids' school where I have the opportunity to invest in um, a group of men and help disciple them and walk with them through the challenges that they have in life. We all have been called to go. We have all been called to share the word, show the word, teach the word, and serve the world. The final thing that I want us to look at just real briefly this morning is this. Notice the comfort of Jesus. In Matthew 28, 20b, Jesus left them with these words. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The bookend of this great gospel is a promise that Jesus is always with us. Folks, we have a promise from Jesus that he will never leave us and that he will never forsake us. And he will always be with us. In Acts 1.8, what did Jesus say? He said, but you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon us, um, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, and he's also the source of power that we've been given. And with this power, we know that we can change the world, right? You know, also in this book by, by, Eric, or, or by Daniel Aiken, he, he quotes um, a, a, from a, um, a journal entry that Eric Liddell, the great Scottish runner and missionary to China, wrote. Eric Liddell wrote these words. He said, Jesus' life is the most beautiful life there has ever been. They, speaking of the disciples, said, failed him at his death. But with the resurrection and Pentecost, they awoke to the meaning of the message he had been trying to give them. And they went out to conquer the world. The disciples conquered the world, didn't they? All of us in this room have also been called and commissioned and empowered to go and conquer this world as well. You know, part of the conviction that I've had as, as I've gone, um, you know, as I've worked through this summer trying to figure out how I was going to get in proximity of lost people is, is, is this. Who am I letting disciple me? Who am I letting invest in me to make me a better pastor, a better husband, and a better, better man? It's a question that I ask myself. And another question is this. Who is following behind me in my footsteps? Who am I discipling? Who am I equipping? And who am I investing in? And that's a call for all of us. We need to all ask ourselves that. Who are we allowing to invest in us? And who are we investing in? 
The Great Commission is this. We have been called to go and make disciples. But before we can make disciples, we've got to be made into a disciple, right? So we need people investing in us as we invest in other people. So let's be obedient to the Great Commission. You know, as we, as we conclude this morning, you know, um, there were two responses to Jesus. Some worshiped Jesus. Some doubted Jesus. Some of you may be in this room and you have yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You still question, man, was Jesus just a good man that walked the face of this earth? Or was he indeed the Son of God? Did he truly go to the cross and die for my sins? Was he victorious over death three days later? You may be here this morning and, 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 and man, you've, you've doubted. You've questioned. But today the Lord has affirmed in you that indeed he is real. If that is you this morning, you have yet to receive Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front, and I would love to share with you how you can become a Christ follower. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord is leading you to become members here at Friendship Baptist Church. And we would love for you to come and make this your church home. I don't know what decision you need to make, um, but you do. During this time of invitation, let me just challenge you. If you don't know Jesus, come to know Jesus. If you're here this morning and, and, and the Lord's leading you to make this your church home, you come make this church, your church home. You may, as I have had to do, you may just need to spend some time where you're at just praying and praying and, and asking God to give you um, opportunities to share him opportunities to invest in the lives of other people and, 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 and begin asking the Lord, Lord, who am I letting invest in me? Who am I accountable to? Who, who is my spiritual growth accountable to? You know, you may need to spend some time during this time of invitation just praying. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And as, as um, when I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. Lord Jesus, just thanking you again for this morning. Lord, I thank you, Father, for every man, woman, student, and child that's in this room. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that you have allowed us over the past couple of years to walk through this great book, the book of Matthew, Father, where we have studied about your, 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 your life and your ministry and your death and your resurrection. And, Father, we thank you on the bookend of this. At the very end, you called out all of us to go. You have allowed all of us to be a part of the eternal story. And we thank you for that. And now, Lord Jesus, as you have called us to go, may we be obedient and go. Father, we know that we're not going on our own because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Your Holy Spirit is the source of our power, the source of our comfort, the source of our, of, 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 of our guidance as well. Not only does the Holy Spirit convict us, but the Holy Spirit reveals to us also ways in which we can bring honor and glory to you. And so, Father, we look forward to, as we go and as we advance in the name of Jesus, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we look forward to being world changers. And so, Father, I pray now during this time of invitation, if there's a decision you need, um, that, that some need to make in this room, Lord, if they need to come and trust in you as their Lord and Savior, that they will come. If they need to come and make this church their church home, they will come, Lord. They may need it wherever they're at just to pray. Father, whatever decision needs to be make and made and however you need to move during this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you'll do that very thing. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. With